Thank you for downloading this episode of In Our Time. For more details about In Our Time and for our terms of use, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio4. I hope you enjoy the programme. Hello. In the late 1940s, a chemist in Brussels called Ilya Prigogine embarked on research which would take him in rather surprising directions. His work concerned the energy associated with chemical reactions, and in 1977 he won him a Nobel Prize in chemistry. But it also led him to write a book about traffic management, surely one of the more startling examples of the unexpected consequences of scientific research. Prigogine proved something which scientists before him had doubted, that it's possible to create order from disorder. He realised that his ideas applied not just to chemical reactions, but to the wider world, from city traffic problems to how a colony of ants organises itself. Today, this field of study is known as complexity. Complexity theorists study the ways in which large groups of individuals behave collectively. Complexity only emerged as a separate discipline around 40 years ago, but today it's used to study difficult problem fields such as diverse, as diverse as biology and international politics to explain the way birds flock and how the economy works. The women to discuss complexity are Ian Stewart, Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at the University of Warwick, Jeff Johnson, Professor of Complexity Science and Design at the Open University, and Professor Eve Middleton-Kelly, Director of the Complexity Research Group at the London School of Economics. Ian Stewart, would you begin by giving us a brief overview of what complexity is and how it's used? It's a mathematical technique. You can run computer simulations based on it. Um, but also a point of view about systems in which large numbers of individuals interact with each other. And it sounds very vague and general, so let's take some examples. Um, think of a crowd of people moving through a large building like a sports stadium. You have lots of people, they bump into each other, they are interacting with each other and also with the building, they know where they want to go. Um, think of an epidemic. Now you have... <clears throat> interactions between people where the interaction is exchanging the disease organism it's catching the disease and the way the epidemic spreads depends on how all those interactions fit together and a third example um, the London Stock Exchange people are buying and selling stocks and shares you have large numbers of traders and they're interacting by these exchanges of stocks and shares so at first sight, those are very, very different systems. And in detail, they work in different ways, but they have a lot in common. And the common feature is this large group of agents or entities which are interacting with each other according to fairly specific rules. So the idea is to actually set up the mathematical model to represent that kind of system in a, 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 a sort of fairly accurate way. We're, just at, we're quite near the beginning of complexity theory studies, aren't we? In which ways do you think it'll be most useful? I think one of the main uses is bringing new ways of thinking into some of the big problems that face humanity. We, um, one of the reasons that this subject has got going is because increasingly we live in a world which is highly connected and um, what happens in a distant country might make a big difference. Uh, when the SARS epidemic got started in Hong Kong, the next place it went was Toronto. Um, that's because of air travel. So uh, the, the, the structure of the world is changing and these big 
And the way we view the structure of the world is changing. The way we view it, but the structure itself is changing. The internet has changed a, a lot of things. That's another example of a complex system. And this is going to... What, what do you complex theories hope to arrive at? As a mathematician, uh, what we'd like to do is actually understand how the things work. Um, we, 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 mathematicians would be interested in the basic principles. They'd be interested in um, not so much can we model the stock market, but things like uh, what do various systems have in common, what are the general principles, how can we understand how these things behave. But from a more practical point of view, um, we would like to be able to do things like manage an epidemic better. You know, this, this is a major problem. You know there's a disease coming, it, foot and mouth disease in cattle. Um, there was no question that this was around. The characteristics were pretty well understood. But what strategy should you use as a government to try and contain the outbreak best? So if you have mathematical models that are good enough, you can try strategies out on the models. You can do experiments in the models which you cannot do in the real world and you can maybe learn how to deal with these problems. Jeff Johnson, can you give us uh, an idea of the origins of this theory, how it developed? Yes, uh, complex system science is, is a new way of thinking. It uh, contrasts with 19th century view of science, which was much more mechanical and uh, deterministic. Um, as Ian says, in, in complex systems, the dynamics of the system generally emerges from the interaction of the, the parts or the, the agents, and that's not necessarily predictable in the way that traditional science uh, thinks it should be. And so uh, the history, in my view, of complex system science starts in the 19th century, um, and one of the major events in this science is the invention of the computer. So I would say that uh, complex system science is very much uh, computer-enabled because we have to compute the interactions of the, the agents and find out the way that the, uh, the system uh, dynamics are, are evolving. Um, there's, there's other things too which are part of complex system science and, and, and really I think our outlook has changed a lot as what what prediction means. So uh, in the 1960s, the weather scientist uh, Lorentz uh, discovered that there are systems which are what's called very sensitive to initial conditions and uh, and the weather is like this so that a, a slight change in the conditions uh, at one time can mean the system would diverge uh, greatly uh, at another time. Um, so our, our, anticipa our, our expectation of what we can uh, predict about uh, physical systems or social systems or any other system has changed uh, a lot in that time. And so uh, the history goes, uh, I, I would say that um, uh, another big event in complex system science was the uh, setting up of the Santa Fe Institute in the United States. Uh, the Santa Fe Institute. The Santa yeah. Fe Institute. Yeah. So this, uh, for many years, has, uh, has been a focus for new ideas in complex system science where people are investigating ideas like uh, adaptation. So complex systems will adapt to a changing environment, to systems which are autonomous, which are um, uh, self-healing and, and stuff like that. Why does mathematics come in? Ian stressed the, 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 the fundamental position place that mathematics plays in this. And you, how does, can you just bring that to the fore again, please? Yeah, I'd say that mathematics is, is very important because of the way we represent systems. So in my view, mathematics gives uh, a preciseness which often molecular language uh, lacks. 
Uh, and also, uh, mathematics is important. It, it, it may or may not have uh, important theorems which we can apply in trying to understand how systems work. But mathematics sits very closely next to computing. And so mathematics can give us new kinds of data structures that we need for computing the dynamics of systems. Do you think that, that since you started doing this, since, since the computers got more and more powerful, since these people like yourselves got involved in thinking about this, do you think progress has been made, that you're better at this than you were 40 years ago? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm certain of that. Um, it's closely related but distinct from a phenomenon known as chaos theory. Can you distinguish between them? Well, yes, indeed. That, uh, th- there's different kinds of uh, series of chaos, but one of them uh, depends upon what I said earlier, this sensitivity to initial conditions. Um, and uh, so uh, this is what uh, Lorentz uh, described as the butterfly effect, so that if, you, if, if, if a butterfly would flap its wings, then uh, potentially um, you could have a storm form somewhere which wouldn't form somewhere else. Uh, I'm is, not that, is that... It's a lovely image. Um, there, is there scientific truth in that? Uh, well, uh, yes, I mean, uh, like many things in complex system science, the metaphors are are, are used and, and misused, which is a pity. Well, is uh, that misused or used? It, it's, it's very often misused, but it's actually true that there are many systems where the changing initial conditions would uh, change the outcome. So, for example, in social systems, there's the, the old rhyme that goes, uh, for want of a, a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the, the, the knight was lost. Kingdom was lost. The, and eventually the kingdom's lost, yes. And um, so this, this shows that even in social systems, uh, very slight changes in the starting uh, positions can change things very much. So, for example, if you get up uh, five minutes late, you might miss the bus, and you miss the bus, you might miss another connection and miss your flight. So something very small can end up in a very uh, big change. So you're trying to crack that, are you? Crack pe- uh, that minutiae of... of uh unexpectedness and an accident, you think that system... I'm not being mocking, I'm fascinated. Maybe this is going to blow the rest of the 21st century away, just like the electron blew the 19th century away, but was, was, was asleep for 30 years, as it were. So you think that you can get to the heart of these millions and billions of interconnections? Because you talk about units and that, but these are people behaving well, badly, indifferently, lazily... I think it's more what Ian said. It's a question of understanding. So there are things that that are, uh, for all practical purposes, uh, unpredictable. So that one of the things about uh, chaos is that as the system behaviour diverges, you get a kind of horizon beyond which a prediction doesn't make any sense. So, for example, what is society going to look like in 300 years' time? You you can't know that. Um, but uh, if if we, it's, it's also understanding the limitations. So we human beings do things which are very unwise and very dangerous, that this kind of science can help us understand which parts of the future are safe and which parts are dangerous, and we can adjust our policy accordingly. Can we distinguish, Eve Middleton Kelly, between the word complexity and the idea behind it and the word complicated and the idea behind that? Is there a distinction? And if so, can you tell us what it is? Absolutely. We need to make, in fact, a very clear distinction because we often confuse the one for the other. So complicated um, is very much um, a machine-type system, is something that... And and I've got three criteria to distinguish them. In a complicated system, we can design, we can predict its behaviour, and we can control its behaviour. We can do none of these things with a complex system. 
So can you give us a good example of a complicated system? A complicated system would be, um, for example, a jet engine that has many, many parts interacting with each other. The fact that it has many parts interacting does not make it complex. It's making it complicated. So we can actually design a jet engine, we can predict its behavior, and we can control its behavior. Now, one of the key things that distinguishes the two is the, um, the, one of the insights that came um, from Ilya Prigozhin, uh, the person you, have, you introduced this notion with. What, in fact, he <coughs> found was that complex systems can, in the jargon, create new order. They can create something new, a new structure, a new way of working, a new way of relating, which complicated systems cannot do. So this is the, at the heart of it, this is the distinguishing feature. How can they create new systems? Is there any basic rule? You said they create new... They can create new structures. I structures, said. The sorry, I got the, the, the system will create a new structure. Yeah. Um, it is how they um, interact. A new structure can emerge through a different kind of interaction. Um, and... and um, I'm afraid it would be very useful for me if you gave us examples. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, I am a social scientist and therefore I need to look at it from a different perspective than our two mathematicians. I work with, um, with um, very much with humans, with organizations, with governments um, and so on. So, for example, when you've got um, an uprising and the... Um, the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring... This is very much um, how a complex system um, is. Um, I'm going to use another term here that That's perhaps right. we, we can, can do terms. we can we can we can explore it later. It is pushed away from equilibrium in the sense that it can no longer carry on existing, operating under the old quotes regime, again in the technical term. What it means is it needs to explore new ways of being. And in that exploration, it will actually create those new structures, new ways of relating, new ways of operating. If it doesn't, it will die. One of the, one of the basic qualities of a complex system is connectivity. Yes. Can you um, say how that word fits into complex theory? Absolutely. Um, because um, complex systems interact with each other, it is that we need to start with this idea of interaction. Um, and I think as both um, Ian and, and Jeff have already said, through entities interacting, and by entities I mean it could be individuals, groups, whole societies. Um, when entities interact, um, they create complex behavior and they start connecting with each other. It is not only the matter of connection, it's also the matter of interdependence that then arises from that connectivity. You wanted to pop in for a moment, yeah. I just wanted to take Eve to task. You said you can't uh, design a complex system. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think if you take, for example, cities, cities are designed. Uh, they're an interesting area of design because they're never finished. But cities are certainly complex systems, and I could give you many other examples. So uh, let's not uh, say that... Uh, okay. 
yeah, cities also evolve. And they evolve, um, yes, that's yes. true. And uh, they're almost, they are actually an example of what Eve is talking about. You have people, they can build buildings, they can make roads, they have certain things that as individuals or groups they can do. And out of this emerges a structure and cities are partly planned, partly evolved, but exactly. they're, they're planned to fit the sort of things yes. that they evolved into historically. Yes. You need transportation, you yes. need uh, places to stay, you need a whole pile of th things which are sort of higher level structures. Would you have to come back in? Yes, I would, because I'd... <laughs> uh, I think it's this idea of design is very interesting. I don't mean that you cannot design full stop you need to take the three criteria together not design in the sense of both predict the behavior and control the behavior this is the the sense in which i was taking it yes of course we can design we're always trying to design but there in a lot of designs the designs of complex systems we have to allow for a great deal of uncertainty unpredictability and the system evolving that is in the sense in which i meant it Okay, well, we can agree on that. <laughs> Ian, can we, Ian, can we take on this notion of con connectivity and, and tell us how that plays out in the, further in a complex system? The, um, you can, a lot of complex systems, you can actually represent the connectivity as a kind of network. So, for example, in an epidemic, um, you have individuals who may or may not get the disease, they may be carrying the disease and be infectious, uh, they may be immune to the disease, uh, they may be dead. Um, and at any given time, when the disease is spreading, it spreads when people come into contact with other people. So if I am not in contact with a particular person, then they can't transmit the disease to me. This is actually fairly clear. But what it means is that in the abstract, you could draw a, a, a network showing all of the individuals and all of the people that they are actually in contact with, and th the disease spreads along that network. It's like people moving through a building along corridors. And the structure of that network affects very strongly how fast the disease will spread and where it will spread to. If we're very highly connected, one infectious person can infect a very large number of people. If the number, average number of contacts between people is much lower, the disease may spread more slowly. You wanted to... Yes, I did. I wanted to add to what Ian said, because we often assume things like connectivity are the same over time. They're not. That the quality, the intensity of connectivity varies all the time and we need again to understand that connectivity is not the same with this, even with the same individuals um, over time it does it does vary uh, Jeff Johnson we've got connectivity also that leads to something known as feedback I mean are these terms you well obviously they're useful what does this mean how does this work, work in with your theory well uh, feedback is is very natural, and I'm sure almost everybody experiences it all the time. So, uh, much of our social interaction is through networks, as has just been said. So, you can imagine that if uh, if one person begins to spread a rumor about something, so so 
person A can say to person B that something is true, person B will tell person C, person C tells person D, person D then tells person A, and person A says, aha, it was true after all. And so just as Eve says, the network's changing now because we've now got some positive feedback, and uh, and so the rumour, even if it's completely mm. untrue, can, uh, uh, can spread that way. So that's one thing. But very often in these networks, you've got all kinds of uh, feedback loops and they interact. So if you can imagine that somebody else uh, spread the, the opposite rumour somewhere else in the system, then these two circulating rumours may, cl- may hit each other somewhere and they will feed back to A and to the other person. So possibly A will change his mind about the rumour or not. So there's, there's immense uh, combinatorial complexity t- uh, to these, uh, these networks and the loops. And that's one of the reasons that uh, systems which locally are easy to understand. It's easy to understand somebody's telling a rumour to somebody else that when you look across the whole network it gets very complicated. And then just to bring back to a sort of base from which the programme began with, with Ian's comments, you're trying to work this out with mathematical formulae. Well, with a combination of mathematical formulae and computation, so that in in traditional science you would have a formula, for example, with Newtonian physics, so that if you fire a cannonball you can predict exactly where it's going to land and exactly when it's going to land. Uh, In most of the systems that we call complex, you can't do that with that degree of certainty. So very often the best you can do is to know what the possible outcomes will be of any particular uh, action. The... um the notion of equilibrium, which you brought up, you, mm-hmm. uh, would you like to develop that a little? That's another, another word that's in play inside this theory. I mean, these are perfectly ordinary words, but you, it is. They, they mean something else in the theory that you're developing. It does, very much so. And actually, if I may start um, by um, referring back to feedback, to what um, Jeffrey just um, explained, because again we need to distinguish between two kinds of feedback, positive and negative feedback. And in positive feedback, which is what Jeffrey has discussed, um, there could be multiple equilibria. Now we need to distinguish that from negative feedback. Um, Let me give you an example of negative feedback. Um, because negative feedback is associated with a mechanistic system. So a central heating system is is based on negative feedback. So the temperature drops, um, it is, um, you feel colder than you would like, the thermostat will then switch itself on, it will raise the temperature to the desired one. So it closes the gap between the actual and the desired. And that has a single equilibrium point. Now, the point here is that we make a, 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 we assume a single equilibrium point in complex systems like the economy, and we make wrong assumptions. So, for example, we assume uh, that as in a simple mechanistic system with a single equilibrium point, if we apply the right amount of correction at the correct time, which we can do with something like a central heating system, it will actually go back to its equilibrium. Now, we cannot do that with things like the economy, which is complex. So let me now explore that further. Yes. We've got to get a move on, but yes. still, that's fine. Yes. <laughs> Explore it a bit further, but let's go. No, no. Um, I'll go back to, 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 fa- to the, the idea of far from equilibrium, because I think that's what you were asking me. And I was asking about... You, you, we're getting there. Just have to, we're getting going. there. 
Okay. In this idea of um, far from equilibrium, it is um, the idea that you cannot go back to what existed in the past. It is not re-establishing a position because the system, by exploring new alternatives and evolving and co-evolving, it will actually um, attain a different um, state. So you've got a shifting equilibrium. If things change, the equilibrium, the position of the equilibrium shifts with the shift with the change. It shifts, but there also there could be multiple equilibria at the same time, not a single one. Yeah, that is the key thing here. Yep, I've got that, Jeff. Or, or indeed, there may be no equilibrium at all. Yes, that the system exactly. might be in a, a state of constant change. Yes. We're, we know where we are with equilibrium, then, Ian. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think so. Right. Now we're going to go to emergence. These common or garden words as, as, uh, assume a plungent, dark significance. Right, emergence. This, this is the biggie. This is the really interesting phenomenon. And um, it's when the system does things on the system scale, which you would not be able to predict from the components and the way they interact. So... Um, Let's take the human brain. It's, it's a complex system. The entities are neurons, nerve cells. They are connected to each other. They send signals to each other. They're all very simple. They're all very simple. And, in fact, you can write down mathematical equations for which are quite good representations of what neurons do. But now you connect a huge lot of them together. Billions. And out of this come things like consciousness. We're actually aware of ourselves and our surroundings in this rather vivid way. There is nothing in the structure of a neuron that says it's got to do that. In a sense, the neurons don't know about that. And yet, um, certainly cognitive scientists would say, you know, this is not some extra external thing that has wonderfully been imposed by some supernatural so your complex Element. system is trying it's, to track that this happens or why it happens or the consequences of it yeah, happening. There, there are, this is back to what Eve was saying about structures, uh, Im- structures that appear which are new kinds of things. Think of the weather. Now let's um, think of the brain. It's think much of the more brain. interesting okay. than the weather. Well, uh, think of the no, brain. Because everybody knows, and let's, let's yeah. go with weather just annoys people. You can, but understand, the interesting. You can understand little bits yeah. of the brain, yeah. um, and actually those are quite difficult. I've spent oh, years yeah. working on models of very tiny bits of, you know, how do animals move? What sort of signals go to the legs? You've only got four legs if it's an animal. It's, you know, it's, it's, this is not as complicated as the whole brain. Um, but all of the evidence is that somehow what all of the wonderful things the brain does like language like vision uh hearing taste our senses our movement all of this happens by neurons exchanging electrical and chemical signals along a network um, the network changes as we learn. It changes as we grow from babies to adults. So as a mathematician, you, your, your, your task is to track this complexity inside the brain. In a sense, it's to try and find out what's happening, um, not exactly despite the complexity, but the, the complexity is what makes it work. Yes. But what it does may not be as complex in itself as all of the underlying details. When I'm talking to you, we could describe the whole conversation 
in ordinary language very, very clearly, in a sense, the conversation does that. If I tried to find out and write down what all of the nerve cells in our brains were doing when that happened, it would be impossible to describe. Jeff, you want to come in? Yeah, this brings us to what I think is a very important Can area. Can we keep, keep the notion of emergence well, indeed, in, in play? Well, indeed, I can say in, in multi-level systems, so in this particular case you've got at the micro, micro level you've got the neurons and at some macro level you've got the brain itself where you've got different behaviours. And in science we have theories at micro levels and at macro levels and very often these don't tie together. And to say something interesting about brains, actually, is that at a level above that, of course, we have social intelligence where we combine our, our brains and what our brains are doing to have something which is, which is different. It's not the individual level intelligence, but the social intelligence. Such as? Well, the social intelligence would be something like um, a, a political um, uh, thing like, like the House of Parliament, for example. You've got uh, uh, 600 MPs making a collective decision, which, which is different from what any one of them might have done alone. Mm-hmm. If, can I, I know you, can you, but can you come in, there's this, you, say what you want to say first and I'll ask you a question, right. Okay, I just wanted to um, uh, go a little bit, a step further from what Ian and Jeffrey said, because in terms of um, emergence, they have described in a way a bottom-up process that arises from interaction of the different entities interacting. So we get the emergent. In, in You described consciousness as an emergent property, which is qualitatively different from the individual neurons. Now, once that emergent is in place, there is an additional dynamic because the emergent has two effects. It both constrains certain behaviours of the interacting entities. Because there's a system in place. Uh, Yes, while at the same time it opens up new possibilities. And that makes it a very, very dynamic process. So it's not only a bottom-up process, it's also a top-down process, and the whole thing is changing very dynamically all the time. So we can go back to the Arab Spring as a simple example of that. It emerges, and it's looking looking to to ape uh, the previous equilibrium, but it's changing all the time. And as you said, there are several points of equilibrium there as well. Yes, yes. Jeff? I'd say in that particular case that there's a notion of latency so that uh, uh, very often systems in a state where things are predisposed to happen but might not happen and so although it's, it's unpredictable that the, there may be some expectation that there will be some outcome. The bottom-up phrase is useful, Ian, is it? Yes, I think so. I mean, bottom-up, top-down, they, they capture a certain amount of this because the way we model these complex systems, certainly mathematically, is essentially bottom-up. Can understand, you just yeah. Be even so, more precise. Okay. About that? Understand the components of the system. Find out the rules for how they interact. So, if I'm talking about people moving in a building, forming a crowd, the we want to know how individuals behave in terms of where they are in the building and uh, the other people around them. And actually, the rules for people moving in buildings in practice are pretty straightforward. You know where you want to go. If there's a gap in that direction, you move into that gap, but you don't bump into other people. And I've almost summarised the rules you need. Put those together, and you get quite realistic models of how crowds flow through buildings. Yeah, but the models sometimes don't work. Hillsborough didn't work. That was a crowd. Uh, Well, no, that was the wrong model. Hillsborough, they had an old-fashioned style equilibrium model. They thought the crowd was like a fluid, and it would simply, if it, there were too many people in one place, they would flow mm. into the places where there were gaps. Now, an, a real crowd is not like that, and a complex system model of a crowd doesn't do that. Mm. Jeff, you want to come in? 
Yes, I was going to give you another example of um, a, a bottom-up emergence that, uh, uh, for example, people come together and make Facebook groups, and that's another example of uh, social intelligence. Right. Uh, can you can you tell us in which areas, When I, in my introduction or in the trailer, I can't remember now, I talked about this applying to ants and to starlings as well as to the stock action. In what, which areas has most progress been made so far that really getting... You think you've got a grip on it, and, and why is that? Can we talk about that? Do you want to start? Yes. Um, I mean, I would say that uh, the complex system science will apply to, to all disciplines, so that uh, the notion that you have systems which are, say, sociological or geographical or physical or whatever, this is kind of characteristic of the old science, that the, the science of complex systems is, is interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary. And so... It, uh, this uh, science is applying, for example, in medicine, in, in so-called personalised medicine, where instead of you getting a treatment which will apply to the average person, it would actually fits you uh, personally. The same is potentially true in education. Uh, we've mentioned transportation, road systems, etc., being uh, analysed with this kind of science, uh, epidemics. Uh, I think it's going to apply to absolutely everything. Eve, <coughs> Eve Milton Kelly... Um, we use computers to do millions and millions of calculations increasingly into the billions now. Is there any other way of getting at the understanding of this, or, um, or is that the only way, crashing through bigger and bigger computers? No, no, no. I'm glad you've asked me that question. <laughs> yeah. No, it, there is the... You know, on the qualitative side, when we try to understand the behaviour of humans, we do need to actually talk to them. And therefore, we need to use um, tools and methods um, that social scientists um, use. So, for example, if we un want to understand epidemics and even worse, pandemics, it isn't enough to only understand the epidemiology. We also need to, to understand how different agencies will interact during an outbreak. So we need to actually, and the consequence of, we need to also look at, for example, um, um, how will the, um, the infrastructure be affected in terms of the water, the food, security, etc., etc. And therefore, we need to look at the whole picture and all those um, um, organizations, institutions that interact. We cannot do that by using computers alone. We actually need to understand why. Why do people interact in the way they do? Why would they do um, something under particular circumstances? And to understand those whys, we actually need to use um, more qualitative methods. So why is an emergent thing? Would they behave differently than they would as individuals? That. Sorry, can you repeat that? In the, in the sense of emergence that you've been talking yes. about, where the idea is that, you, that when people come together, it emerges, they will behave as they would not have behaved as individuals. Okay. Let's make a distinction between patterns and individuals. For example, when we're looking at evacuation after a major disaster, we can predict certain patterns of behavior, but in no way can we predict how individuals will actually behave and, 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 and react. Yeah, yes, you sure. can't predict the details of each individual, exactly. but there are these large-scale... It's not exactly statistical, but it's like statistics. There are regularities in the behaviour of humanity exactly. in yes. large groups, right. independently of the people. Yeah. That behaviour emerges from what the individuals do, 
And if you track that in detail, it would be extraordinarily complicated. But actually what you get is a, uh, a wave of 100,000 yeah, people evacuating right. a city and they're all going down the yeah. roads because where yeah. else would they go? Mm. Can I just stay with you and, and, and talk? Uh, uh, he referred to medicine and the progress made in medicine. Can you tell us what's gone on there and how, how this, is, this, this theory is already making inroads into understanding how things move around and develop? Yeah, the, the traditional models, uh, as Jess was saying, are, are um, modelling the system on the right level in the right kind of way. The uh, complex system models of an epidemic, actually, you can build into those models all sorts of real-world behaviour, such as people getting onto an aeroplane and flying to another country. Um, and you would do this not in terms of what people, individuals, really do. You don't have a particular person in your model, but you have a representative set of entities which are the right number of people are flying in the right direction. And you can then model the spread of the epidemic with some degree of accuracy, uh, whereas the old models would tend to say, well, if, if there's an outbreak in China, the first thing it will do is spread all the way through China at a particular speed, and then when it gets to the borders, it will spill over into neighbouring countries. It's not like that. Somebody gets on a plane and suddenly there's a new outbreak starts somewhere else. You can cope with that kind of structure. Jeff. I think we should make it very clear that these uh, uh, computer-based um, uh, investigations of the future, they're not, they're not predictions, so you don't run the system once and get the answer. What happens is that you have to run the system many times because most of these systems are sensitive to initial conditions. So through the computer simulation, you get an understanding of the space of possibilities, and that's what you need to use for, for policy purposes and for making decisions. But initial conditions have their own dynamic as well, don't they? If, if the initial condition when you set up a typewriting system is called QWERTY, although it isn't the most sensible logical, it sticks because that's the one and it gets... So it's, there's a different sort of factor coming in there. Well, that, that's the classic example of so-called path dependence, which yeah. is that yes. uh, what happens in a system will depends on its history, so that the, the evolution of the typewriter uh, came for that reason. It, it's also positive feedback in your yeah, sense. Okay. The reason you use a QWERTY yes. keyboard is because everybody uses a QWERTY exactly. keyboard. Yes. I'm sometimes when you're talking getting the yeah. impression there's so much to take into account I don't see how yeah. you're going to yeah. arrive at where you're setting out to get to yes. Eve, you, you're okay. waving away there let's, <laughs> let's hope we have the answer <laughs> OK um, you asked earlier the question you know, what kind of problems can we deal with and whether we have to actually uh, look at all the detail no, it's not the detail that um, the tiny detail that we need to look at is we need to understand a complex problem um, in 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 an in a, a way that we can actually address it. Well, so take a large organisation, which is complex, and inside large organisations are often other organisations exactly. subservient to it, which are also complex. Absolutely. And inside those, are, it's, it's, it is Russian boxes, isn't it? It is Russian boxes. And let me give you an example, because at the moment we're working with a, a government agency in Indonesia that is facing um, deforestation. So, for example, here, the problem is very complex, is very large. And what we are trying to do is to find out what are the First of all, the different dimensions, the social, the cultural, the political, the economic, the technical, the physical, in which that problem exists. Because if we understand that, but not only as laundry lists, but how the issues within those dimensions interact and change, influence and change each other. Are, are you approaching the level of 
at the moment of impossible to understand. By the time you get all this together, then you say, and, you include, and you've got this vast population in Indonesia, and each of those no. might have a mind of their own. No, no, it no. Is, I'm, it's I'm talking. I'm talking about one organisation here. This yeah. is a government agency, and yeah. we're looking at the problem they are facing. And no, it is not um, an endless um, uh, number. It is actually bringing, identifying some key clusters of issues. Jeff, Jeff Johnson. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to emphasise the fact that we call it complex systems doesn't mean that this is some kind of uh, 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 thing that only a very small number of people can understand, that in fact uh, most people understand complexity and handle complexity extremely well. And uh, so com complexity is ordinary. The thing about complexity sciences, as, as we said at the beginning, it, it's a different way of thinking. And uh, and as you said, the science is quite young, so um, we don't have answers for everything. And it would be uh, uh, disingenuous if we said said we did. But I think that the the in the scientific community there is quite a coherent view of the kind of things we've been talking about today. There's certainly a very long way to go. Um, but I think that this is a, a science which is accessible to everybody. Yeah. Eve? I think that is absolutely correct. It is how do we understand complex systems. If we understand the characteristics of complex systems, we can work with those characteristics. If we don't understand them, we can actually inadvertently block them and go against uh, what we want to achieve. So it is a way of thinking and it is a way of understanding the reality of the world. Can I finally come to you, Ian Stewart? Where are we at the moment with complex theory? How far down the track are you and what's it, what's it best at? It's got to the point where we have quite a lot of examples of models, some of which work pretty well. Uh, crowd modelling, for example, is now established as a commercial tool. Um, it's used all the time. Um, and we have some sort of theoretical understanding of some of the issues we've been discussing. It may have sounded a bit vague, but that's actually because it's a very, very broad area. Um, and I think we can see directions in which progress can be made, but it is very much early days at the moment. Well, uh, there's a lot of work going on. Thanks for giving us an early glimpse of what was going to sweep the 21st century off its feet. Thank you, Eve Middleton-Kelly and Stuart, Jeff Johnson. And next week, we'll be talking about the Medici, the family who dominated Florence's political and cultural life for three centuries. Thanks for listening.